Hey, Emily. Hey, Stephanie. You uh, want to do a podcast? Absolutely. Welcome to Cycle Chats, a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman. This is episode 12, If You Want to Be My Lover, where we strip it down and take it off as we talk to certified sex therapist and sexual health educator on a mission to take the taboo out of getting frisky, the ever so lovely Sarah Watson. Thank you so much for being here. I have been looking forward to this for quite some time now. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. You're our first time talking about sex, but it's not Stephanie and my first time having sex, but it's very exciting because this is a part that we, you know, of ourselves and for our listeners that we really haven't delved into yet. So I'm excited to open up this conversation because it is an extremely important conversation to have and to destigmatize. So thank you. Thank you a thousand times. Thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, I'm really excited really to be here. I love talking about sex anytime, all the time. So ready to get into it. So what made you get into this field? Yeah, I love this question and it's always like a crazy story. So the, I'll try to give the, you know, the water, well, the cut down version. Um, so I went to grad school for counseling and specialized at that time in art therapy and it, which is lovely. Like art history was my undergrad. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It's going to be great. And then you finish grad school and you go to get a job doing art therapy and you realize that there aren't jobs. So went straight into working for community mental health and then found an art therapy job. And I was so excited and it was wonderful for a minute. And then it wasn't. And then I got laid off and was just chatting with one of my best girlfriends and her mom is a therapist. And I was like, Hey, does, does Sally know anybody like in my area that would like hire me? And she's like, Oh, I'll ask her and and let you know. And so Sally best friend's mom is like, come over, you know, we'll have a little chat. And we have a little chat and come to find out, like I knew Sally was a therapist didn't realize that she was a very well-known sex therapist and had started the sexual health program at University of Michigan. So throughout just having this very long conversation with her about what I wanted to do, and I really wanted to work with couples. Like I knew I could do therapy one-on-one that I had lots of experience in. I was like, I love working with couples due to, you know, talking with friends and like helping them navigate relationships. And she's like, well, the most important part is sex and and intimacy. And she's like, you need to be certified in sex therapy. So I jumped in and we did it. And since that moment, it's just been go, 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 go. So it was, you know, a weird domino effect of things happened to land me in the right spot in the right conversation and, and get the training. I think it's so important that there are people like you that exist in the world, because I talk about this a lot on our podcast. I grew up very religious and no diss to anybody, but I can tell you what an unbelievable is the only thing I could think of. It put on my sexual identity, how I experienced sex, like the level of guilt that I still have to work through, like, I'm not allowed to feel pleasure and I'm not allowed to talk about. 
And I love talking about it because I found that once I wasn't feeling so sexually repressed, I was like, let's talk about it and take the taboo out of it. It can be so beautiful, but we put this like, like it, shh, don't, let's not. Well, how do you think we're all here? I say that all the time. So also grew up very religious, a private school kid with the exception of one year. And that was, you know, just due to finances for my parents at that time. But the shame, right? It's like shame and guilt. The combo is incredibly overwhelming. If you grow up in that type of household and you've been in doctrine with all of those things, if religion is for you, right? No, that's wonderful. Do your thing. But you also need to take a look at what are you being taught and how are you being taught about pleasure and connection and intimacy and vulnerability. And not even just with a partner with yourself. It's how many times, you know, you've had a long day and you're like, I think maybe I'll take myself on a date and get lucky with myself later, you know? Like, and it, it should be fun because that's something that I have even found makes me feel better if I'm having a hard day, releases a pressure in my head. If I've had a really bad headache, helps me sleep. Like people don't look at the other health side of what actually happens when your body is releasing, right? If you can get to that state of relaxation to then connect with yourself, whether it's solo sex, or if it's just like, I'm actually just going to be in my body and relax, right? Because it doesn't have to be like, oh, I must have an orgasm. It's just how do I connect with myself? Because frankly, if you had a really stressful day, sometimes that orgasm might not come and you're like, what is going on? Four hours later, you're like, uh -huh. <laughs> right. And you're so like, tired. I need more lube. Like what's happening? Change the batteries out. You're plugging it back into the wall. Yeah. You're like, like it's oh, time God. out, time out. Yeah. Yeah. It is all about like just connection to self and like being okay with how you feel and that you have the ability to have pleasure, right? No one talks about pleasure. There's no talk, you know, in these uh, traditional sex ed courses at schools. It's just not talked about. Yes. And like, I was just thinking back to my sexual health conversation. I remember with my mom when I first got my period, right? Like she gave me the book and I remember like, it's a cartoon book and the girl had like a bunch of hair on her vagina, which is great and all of that. But we didn't talk about the side of pleasure. That's like not brought up in that conversation, even with your parents, I guess it's uncomfortable in a, in a way, but we have to destigmatize that to be able to make sure that it's much more spoken about and outward because that is a really big part of this. It's your own pleasure. And it's just kind of left in the, in the dark. And you're like, what? I can feel pleasure. I thought I was just supposed to protect myself or whatever your parents teach you. Oh, there's so many messages. I mean, I think we could talk about that for hours of like the terrible messages that we have to filter through and relearn and train your brain, right. To be like, okay, those automatic, cause they're going to keep coming those automatic thoughts, even though you're like highly aware and you're like, I'm totally sex positive, but then your brain is still looping the old thoughts and it's stopping them and be like, wait, why? where did that just come from? What is that about? And doing that work is really like, that's a lot of what I do in therapy in the beginning. What do you feel that couples come to you the most with? Also very good question. And it's really depends. And I hang with me here because it really depends on the couple. Sometimes it generally tends to be one person is driving that bus of saying, 
it's time to go to therapy. So it really depends on which person in the couple is saying we need help. But I would say there's a, a couple top that stick out right now, which is desire discrepancy, right? So it's when one partner wants to engage in intimacy and physical pleasure more than the other. One is just a pain, like there, if there's any kind of like physical pain or issues going on, that is definitely a factor. And I tend to kind of work with individuals first, if that's, you know, if it's pain because sex is not supposed to be painful unless that's what you're looking for, right? But it's not supposed to be painful. And then the third one is really lack of communication altogether. And she's like, we're not having sex. Well, okay. Well, why aren't you having sex? What's going on? Well, I don't know. Well, okay. Have you ever, have you talked about it outside of the bedroom? Um, no. You know, so when I'm like, okay, well, well, let's back that up and be like, we need to work on how are you communicating about your needs, your wants and desires outside of the bedroom. And so that's what I work with couples on that. But it really is like a whole, like it's anything underneath the sexual health umbrella is why people come to me. It really just depends on the couple and what what's bringing them in. So it can be anything. It's interesting too, about voicing what pleases you. Something that I have, I always, I'm better now. But I used to have this like problem with like, I always just, I was always like, I don't really, that doesn't really feel good, but I don't want to make whoever I'm with, I don't like them feel bad. And it's also like, you know, there's like a sexy, I don't have to be like, hey, a little to the left, the hell are you doing? Like you can say, oh, hey, maybe mm, left, you know, you can do it in a way that it's sexy, but we have, I, I guess, kind of train rolling off of this. I had a partner tell me once when I was like, hey, I don't really like that. He's like, I know what I'm doing. And because I was so young, I was like, okay, no problem. You know, and I just laid there and I was like, okay, I guess he knows what he's doing. And then I started to realize like your body naturally gives you signals that it doesn't like something or someone. I used to go numb. I would feel nothing. And as I got older, I later realized, oh, I can feel pleasure. My body's choosing not to because it doesn't feel safe. Exactly. Oh, I'm so glad that you figured that out, right? Because that is such an important and sad, like it's like really important and like so sad. I'm sorry you had to go through that experience. I can say I've had a very similar experience of being with the partner when I was very young and just like thinking that this is what it was when I then later realized that I never felt good about it. And it was just like, okay, you're just laying there like a receptacle for a penis, you know, like the visual of that beep, back it up. Like, it's just like insane to think that so many people go through that. And then how do you, how do you undo all of that? Right? Like it's, it's a big deal. And two, also the part where I would sometimes take a long time because I I didn't always feel the need to come or release. Sometimes I just liked the act of it. Some of my partners are like dead set. That needed to happen. And they're like, you're taking too long. And I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. You're really honestly not making me feel very good because you're like, aren't you there yet? Well, okay. I didn't realize there was a time limit on this. I'm sorry. I think with my partner now, he's just, he's so unbelievably brilliant with, it's all about you. Don't worry about it. We're so comfortable in communicating what we want with each other in a way that feels safe, that it's always awesome. Whether the big grand finale happens or not. Again, you're coming at me with good lessons, right? Because that's exactly what we, we need to talk about is that most women, most vulva owners, right? are not going to achieve orgasm or the release, if you will, it can take up to 20 minutes. That is the average time. 
Hi, I'm Emily, and I take about 20 minutes to come to an orgasm. It's very nice to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Yeah, and we are taught, like, okay, so think about why that is like an overwhelming idea is because think of every piece of media that, well, maybe not every single one, okay, but like 94% of the media that we have seen shows it's just so quick. There's no foreplay there's, and especially if it's heteronormative where it's like penis and vagina, and then she's losing her mind. It's such trash. It never happens that way. Like 50 shades of gray. Mm -mm. I don't buy it for, I love the book. Look, listen, I could dig into the fantasy. I was one of them. I was like, oh my God, really? But then like, I really started to think about it. And I'm like, first of all, nobody achieves an orgasm like that. Their first time they have sex. No one. No, no. Unless she was really, really familiar with her body, which don't think so. I remember I read that book too way before my sex ed work, but yeah, no, it's just, we have to get to the place of understanding our bodies, right. And knowing that it's okay. If it takes two minutes, it's also okay. If it takes 20. And it's interesting too, with social media, I feel like we're overstimulated with this idea that you have to be like a hypersexual bad bitch. I only want a guy with a 10 inch dick and a Maserati. And you're like, oh my God, this is a lot of, I just want a guy who's like nice to me, (laughs) like doesn't hurt me in bed. I think it's healthy to put that down and realize, again, we talk about this a lot with social media. It's of course going to be all the highlight reels. It's going to be all the good sex you've ever had. It's going to be the hottest people you've ever been with, all the money, the whatever. But put that down and realize that you are a human being. And sometimes it's not always great. Sometimes you're like halfway through and you say to your partner, I'm really just not in this right now, which I've done and gotten scolded. But then I've done and it's been celebrated. No problem. I want you to be comfortable because what is the point of us doing this if we're both not in it together? And that's with my current partner. Well, give him a high five because that's amazing. I do. I high five him after sex. I'm like, nice. Thanks so much. Thanks to the orgasm guy. Like it was amazing. Do I owe you? Would refer to a friend. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, that's exactly where we should be, right? Is that if if you can't be mostly present, right? I say mostly because it depends on where your brain is and what's happening. If you can't be mostly present with yourself and your partner during sex, then there should be a stop. Like, thanks so much. We tried, it's just not working. And then that's okay. There's nothing wrong. But we have been taught, right? As people, no matter where you are, is that if someone stops having pleasure with you, then it's about you and not them. And and how do you not make that a personal thing? Just about two individuals coming together and that it's going to shift and change. And it doesn't mean that you're not attracted to them or that you don't love them or whatever bullshit that you're, you know, playing through there. If, if your partner is the one that stops, or if you're the one that stops and like, just come back to it and have a conversation about it later outside of the bedroom, right? Like, Hey, you know, whether it's just like, a, Hey, how did, how did that feel for you or what's going on? And just kind of not debrief. Cause that's not what I'm talking about. No, uh, I'm <laughs> just like having a conversation about what went well, what you could try differently and just kind of connect and really just be with each other, I think is really important after, after moments like that. And just in after sex in general. So whether it's you're stopping it or if it was really amazing to talk about it again, right. The next day, like that was amazing. I really liked it when you did X, Y, Z, or I didn't really love this. Could we try this next time? Constantly like reevaluating. How did it go? Yeah. Communicating communication is key. 
It's sexy. It is sexy. So we were talking about this idea of media, social media, movies, TV, songs, all these things going into our brain and saying, oh, well, a woman orgasms this fast and all of this stuff. But something else that it does is talks about how many times you should be having sex. And it's like sex is every night. You should be having sex every night, all the time. You should be totally sexually attracted, like all of this. And I have my own problem with that. But I'm curious to know what you found is the average. People always want this statistic. You'll have to look it up exactly. But I think between the ages of like 25 and 40, it's once a week. Maybe. That's me. And that's maybe. That's once a week. Maybe. Yeah, that's just something I have a big problem with a lot of movies, songs, media, all that stuff, because I think it turns what the idea of love is into lust and it over-sexualizes relationships. Like my husband and I were just having this talk the other day about sex, right? And It's not just all about that. It is other intimacies that create the relationship and make it work. You know, we weren't saying sex is bad because we love having sex with one another. It's just there's other things that go into what makes our relationship work, other intimacies that we've done. And we've almost been together now five years and they've ebbed and flowed and they've gone in different directions. And I I think that's, well, I know that's okay. I don't think, but- my, I know that the problem is these movies that are just like a snapshot of what a couple's relationship is. And it's just over-sexualizing everything to make people who are watching it say, oh, well, I'm not that sexually active with my partner. Is there something wrong? Should I feel something different? Oh my God, I need, I need to dump them and, and get on with somebody else. And I think that's the problem. I think movies and, so, and media just in general, right? So it's always showing the new relationship hormone part of thing. I know that's, that's from another sex educator who coined that term in a, in a training I did a while ago. And like, we're constantly seeking that like incredible lust and connection and fireworks. And about after six months, those feelings kind of do, 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 get you get down, they, they dwindle down. And then you get into this more comfort in a relationship, whether you're in love or not, but then you find that comfort in the other person. And you also have to think about who's writing these things, uh, white old dudes. So that's terrible. So unless it's written by, you know, like a feminist, inclusive, diverse person, like it's probably trash. Because they're not doing their research on what relationship really looks like. And if you think about it, it's now, now we're just getting this tiny little sliver of more inclusive in regards to everything media, just a little bit right now. But so growing up, everything that you've seen and read and heard, all the magazines, all the music, all of that is coming from white old dudes. Gross. But now that's stuck in your brain because it's stuck in my brain. You have to retrain how you view things. Cause I, I mean, I still do too. Some things that I'm, I know as a, really as a feminist, I'm like, I don't really, like, I don't really think that way, but the thoughts popping in there. And that's just from, that's from my brain at a very young age being trained the magazines and the internet started becoming a little bit more popularized. I was on MySpace, like it's like the dawn of the digital age and you can't, you're surrounded by it. You're listening to it. It's in pop culture. Sexuality should be celebrated, but wow, to the extent that it was pushed because it sold and it made money. There was a monetary value put on it. And then you grow up listening to it, reading it, looking at it. How can you not? 
start to believe and buy into that thought. You kind of have to, it's like retraining what you really believe in and then what you were conditioned to believe in. It's how do you feel versus how should you feel? And then it's filtering through all of that. And this is a long process, like to get through all of that. One, recognize my thoughts about sexual health and relationship are probably not based in scientific information or healthy things, you know, like healthy education. Who's talking to you, right? Are most of your, unless you're really lucky, and I've only had one person ever answer this question and be like, I got a great education about these things. And I've done lots of talks and lots of clients, but our education comes from peers and from all of social media and and media in general, unless you were really raised with the people that were sitting you down and having continuous conversations about sexual health and healthy relationship and communication, then you get into a relationship and you're supposed to know how to do all of these things. And then you're like, what the, what? Like, I have to talk to you about my feelings and my needs and desires and tell you that I don't like it when you touch my boob that way, you know, like, or don't grab my ass in that certain like place. But then you don't know how to even say that we're up against some heavy things. I find it interesting too. You just kind of backtracking a little bit. I had a girlfriend who she had a really high sex drive. And so for her physical touch was like the top of the top. And I just, I couldn't keep up with it. And I think I liked the idea of being one of those women, but I just never was. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how I dressed, how I tried to convince myself, I finally came to the realization that I like the idea of things more than I actually like doing them in a way that I started realizing, okay, what are healthy things that I'm utilizing that service for? And then where am I maybe handicapping myself into certain thought processes by, oh, I like the shiny new toy, or I just like the idea of that. So I'm going to, you know, run and see if the grass is greener there. So once I started splitting that up, and especially in terms of sex for me, I was like, you know what? I think I can like rev myself up and like the idea of something to get me into the mood and be able to talk to my partner about it without actually having to like do it. And to me, that's still sexy. And I'm very, very, very fortunate that I have a partner that is the same way. He likes to talk about sex. We talk about intimacy. We don't have to be intimate 24 seven with each other for us to be close. We were recently just talking about how I feel closer to him sometimes when we're just cuddling being silly with each other than when we're actually being physical for us that like kicks the craving whatever this thing may be on it absolutely I think it kind of ties into the question of like how many times right like what is normal and it's thinking and normal is a terrible word but like average I would use sorry but what immediately comes to mind right if you're a female body person that if you are having a menstrual cycle that there are certain times of the month that we are designed to want our partner so that we can have more babies to continue the population. And then there are times that we pull away from our partner. Really the research, and I read this recently, which I think is fascinating, right? The research tells us that we pull away usually the week before we start our period because we are supposed to make ourselves look good to other potential partners so that we can create more babies rather than just with our partner, which obviously we're 
general, unless you're into that, like most people aren't doing. And so there's going to be times where you want to be close and when you don't want to be close. And all of that is totally okay and typical because that's the way our biology and our, our body is made up. See, and this is something else that needs to just be destigmatized in this whole conversation. I keep saying that word. I don't think I've ever said that word this much during a podcast. You know, we hooked up with our friend Audrey, so shout out, and she is a cycle syncing coach. And I did not know that there was four phases of our menstrual cycle. I didn't know. I didn't. I'm a 20, almost 29 year old woman. I'm so, how did I not know that there was four phases in my freaking cycle that I've had since I was what, 11 years old. That's disgusting. That is so upsetting that women aren't being educated. Why is it not being spoken about in those health classes? It really blows my mind. So it's not being talked about who is helping the schools decide, right? For public schools, who's helping them decide their health classes and how they're going to do that. Only 17 states require sex ed to be medically accurate and inclusive. Again, growing up religious, We were taught like the Jesus route of things. Again, I say, if that is your dig, go for it, baby. I'm not going to stop you. But what I don't appreciate is when any form of religion or belief condemns you for something that naturally occurs within your being, within others, like civilization. This is a naturally occurring thing. You are making me feel bad about it. Repress it. Don't acknowledge it. Ignore it and it'll go away. And now I'm supposed to save myself for some magical guy. That's how it started to feel is like, what the hell, man? I have my beliefs. I love the universe, but like I'm saving myself for, for, whoa. You're saving your female body for a male-bodied person, right? Because there's that male-bodied figure as well. Yes. And and something about that just did not sit right. And I was like, this literally does not make sense. I'm still metaphorically saving myself for a man. And I was like, I'm out. I'm out because I'm feeling bad about naturally occurring feelings in myself. That could be a series of episodes in talking about purity culture and and how that impacts your sense of self as a person and what you tend to lean towards as a person. And it just, it is so damaging. I I feel like that's a part of something I do with most people that grow up in a religious household and then end up coming to me. And there's a few people out there that are doing really good work of like, how do you tie it together? Like, how do you tie Christianity and being sex positive together? That's real hard doesn't mean it can't be done. And again, if religion is your thing, go for it. I'm recovering private school, religious kid, and I get it. But yeah, it's saving yourself. That whole idea is really interesting for a male body person. No one's talking about sex and relationship. No one's telling you how to communicate. No one's telling you about your clitoris. I'll tell you that much because that wasn't fully discovered until 1996. It was just absolutely, and no pun intended, nuts. I'm going to go with that. It's totally nuts. How do we keep ourselves emotionally and physically safe in the bedroom? What are some tips and tricks there? So going to go back to my favorite word. My favorite tip is communication. And I, I always tell my couple, well, if you're a couple or not, doesn't matter, but that there should always be communication about what's going on, how you're feeling, what you need, what, what is going to make you feel safe. This idea that there are going to be times where you start to initiate something or your partner starts to initiate something and you want to pull back and, and stop and normalize that and having these conversations outside of the bedroom, I think is key. There seems to be 
it can be distracting if you're in the bedroom, depending on how your bedroom is set up. But if you go on a walk together and just talk about what's going well, what feels good, what, what you want to try, what's what's going on, get out of the house if you can. Obviously, if you keep yourself safe right now due to this crazy COVID situation, but don't be in the bedroom. Get out. Like make that your like sacred zone, sleep and sex. I tell people not to have a TV in their bedroom and people look at me like I'm an alien because there are times where I'm like, God, I wish I had a TV in my bedroom when I don't feel good and I just want to like lay and chill. But I believe bedrooms are for sex and sleeping. So how can you make that a really healthy zone? And so to keep yourself safe, what's the environment like and how are you communicating with your partner? I want to ask how, how do we keep this spark alive, right? I've heard that as time, as I even said, as time goes on, our relationship ebbs and flows. The amount of sex that we have, you know, goes up and down. It depends because you're changing with the person, hopefully, and individually as well. So how do you find, or how do you tell your clients is the best way to keep that spark alive? Yeah. I think that's again, another, you, you all are asking lovely, like inquisitive, important questions. And I think that's true, right? So if you've been with your partner for a year or five years, or I've been with my partner for 19 years and it's really hard, right? Again, through phases of life too. Like, where are you? If you are just, you know, working and things are going well, and it's just making sure that you're having those conversations. It's being on the same page with each other about what you want and what you need and being honest. Like if you're not feeling it, Hey, I'm feeling incredibly bloated or overwhelmed or stressed or whatever. And naming your feelings to your partner so they can know what's going on with you and they don't internalize it. Right. So that's step one. Step two is then thinking about when you do feel erotic, what does that look like? So what does it look like when you're alone? So we talked about solo sex already. So you know what that feels good for you. Maybe you have a certain toy that you, well, trying to get rid of the word toy in the whole, like, using vibrators just so that's something that's coming down from most educators but what vibrator are you using what are you using to pleasure yourself what lube you're using what does your surroundings what does that need to be like so think you know that right like as an individual and then sharing and having a conversation with your partner about what do what do you like and then what does your partner want you know so what do you want the zone to feel like and and then this tends to land differently for different people, but you can schedule it. And people are always like, oh my God, we have to schedule sex. We're so like, there's a lot of words, fill in the blank there, right? That people, people use. But the idea of scheduling it is not just saying, oh, we're going to have sex, but it's scheduling intimacy. So we know Saturday night that that's our special time that we're going to do whatever makes us feel really close to each other. And if sex happens to be a part of that, cool. But if it's not, that's fine too. But that gets you generally pretty excited if you decide to take this path. If you can be like, okay, when's our day? Schedule that. And then from whenever you schedule to the day that happens, thinking about it, making space for it and getting excited about it and trying to turn yourself on a little bit about how you want to connect with your partner. Not, oh God, we have to have sex on Sunday because it's Sunday and not because life is happening, but like get yourself jazzed up about it, knowing that that time is coming. So, and be intentional, right? About the connection. If you have kids, be extra intentional, right? That, and again, this may land differently with different people. I always tell parents like how you need to put your relationship first. It cannot be your kid first. 
It needs to be the relationship first. So you both can be the best parents or you can be the best parent, whether you're partnered or not, that you can be for that person. You cannot pour from an empty cup. I wish people would get that because quite literally two days ago, I had an ocular migraine and a headache once the ocular migraine went away. And then I was on my period and I was unbelievably stressed out at work. And I was just so un- like so overwhelmed. And I just, I said, I can't give anymore. I just can't give anymore. And it's because I, I was not putting myself first. And I finally got home and I just said, I'm done. I got to go lay down. The messy room can wait. The, the copies of this and that and the other thing, because I had pushed myself to such a limit that I was not, I was, I was writing on empty. Like there was no water left in the back of the Keurig. It was like, you know, it's, there's no gas in the car. Like I'm, I'm on, I'm done. So I think that's, that it's important to not let yourself get to that point. Like it's going to happen. I think every once in a while, but it shouldn't be happening frequently. And that was a big lesson for me to even say, hold on, because I'm obviously I'm pouring this cup out a little too generously to everybody. And there's not a drop left for me and I'm incredibly dehydrated. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's, it's these things that you're talking about that I don't think that you could can control and in, in this time. Right. But then there's this also this terrible idea out there right now that, you know, this hustle culture and it's just as bad as you can't control if you add more to your plate. Like, no, you do not need to get up at four in the morning. No one needs to be getting up at four in the morning to do anything. You should be sleeping. It's toxic positivity too. That like, if you want to play hard, you got to work. Yes, hard work is important. But let me tell you, sometimes like I should have left work. I should have called and said, I can't, I literally cannot stay. I'm not being productive for anyone at all the company included like I'm I'm a mess but instead I was like no no it's fine I'll just cover my you know I I'll be all right and I'm like I'm like trying not to pass out at work that's crazy I was like why do I do this because it's it is pumped into us that hustle culture hustle you got to work hard you got to make all this money you got to do it but you're gonna die before you even get to utilize any of this stuff if you continue to push yourself too hard for what yeah what is the cost right? And the cost generally is the empty cup. Our relationship will turn to because then you're going to project your crap onto them. And then there's going to be some kind of fight that has nothing to do with anything that you're upset about, right? Like kitchen sink, that stuff like, and you can't do that, right? So it's taking the minute with yourself about every day, like what, what's going on with me? You know, why am I pouring so much out? Is there a way to control that? And that's not always possible. And I realize that, but just to keep that in the back of your mind about what's going on, don't put so much stuff on your plate because it's not worth it. What does women empowerment mean to you? Oh, I love that question. I think it's just, if you are a female body person and that's how you identify to be with yourself, right? Like to, to take care of yourself first. And then for me personally, it's okay. If my, again, using the cup analogy, if my cup is full, how am I going to help other women fill their cup? And I may have capacity for a very large way to do that some days. And then other days, it's literally just having a conversation with my sister who I know is going bat crazy at her house because she's working from home with two children. So, and I know like, okay, we need our energy to be together or it's just reaching out simply to my girlfriends and texting and my really close friends. 
and saying, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Or, you know, and, and this is what I'm currently working on, which is raising my hand saying, I'm not okay. Like I'm losing my shit and saying, I need some help. And maybe it's just a virtual, right now, virtual wine night. Or maybe it's telling my partner, I'm going to go out of the house because I'm going to lose my mind if I do not leave for a little bit of time. So how, how are you reaching others? That's what I think empowerment can be. My last question is what would you say to your 15 year old self? When I was 15, my parents got divorced. And so that girl was so sad, so anxious. So I struggle with anxiety and I think anxiety really took over. So I would tell her one, you're going to be okay. Two, your relationships are going to look incredibly different as an adult. And three, that you are powerful and to just trust myself rather than to, I mean, I just went through a cycle of just doubting and doubting and doubting and being, putting myself in a role that I wasn't meant to play with friendship, especially at the end of high school and in the few first years of college and to trust and know that I know what's best for myself and, and I'm going to do the work and I'm, I'm a badass. Like I, I can't imagine that I would have ended up in this chair doing what I'm doing. She would have been shocked, I think. <laughs> Someone told her, you're going to be a sex therapist and a sex educator, but it's totally worth it. I love that. My parents, they separated when I was 16 and then actually got divorced when I was 21. And I feel you so hard. I know what you were feeling. I was that 16 year old girl as well. But I have to say that was such a pivotal time in my life, as I'm sure it was for you. I grew and learned so much from that time and from that terrible thing that happened. I would be a totally different person if they would have stayed together, but I learned. So from that came something beautiful. So even though it was a terrible time in my life, believe me, it was awful. I became this. So I, I have to give a little bit of credit to that 15, 16 year old girl to say, you were strong enough to get through that time in your life. So I was right there with you. My 16-year-old self, 15-year-old self would have given you a hug because I was literally dealing with the same thing. It's an interesting time to think about. You've been such a delight to speak with. It could just be the Midwest part of me that really feels like you get it. You know, I said, we love to talk to people. My family's all from Illinois. So it's in the grocery store talking about salami. Next thing you know, so-and-so went to high school. You got the meat guy at the deli counter and you know, you, the whole grocery store you're having a conversation with. So thank you so much for educating us, for validating us. And basically in an, again, a nutshell saying it's okay. And you know what? Sometimes it's not going to be the fireworks and that's okay too. And this is all normal and part of it. I want people to be able to go to your platforms, find you, talk to you and feel as really as empowered as I feel. I'm like flying right now. So where can we find you? And do you have any fun or exciting projects coming up that we should keep our peepers open for? Thank you. Okay. So I'm on Instagram, of course, as everyone else, which I love the platform sometimes, <laughs> but so you can reach me there at SWSX therapy and also simple sex education. Those are my two business sites there. You can also reach me on my regular therapy website, which is www dot Sarah Watson. I can't even tell you what my website is because I don't know what it is. And that's okay because it's going to be linked down below. 
sarahwatsonlpc.com. That's what it is. And what's coming up for me is I have really been working on Simple Sex Education, which is an educational business to work with parents and or caregivers to prepare themselves to have these ongoing conversations that we didn't get to have as kids. And so that is going to be coming up hopefully this summer. Oh my God. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to that. And it's just a delight. No, there's no words. So as Steph said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you a million times. Thank you for spending some of your time educating, inspiring, and empowering us and hopefully the listeners. So thank you for syncing up with us and listeners. We hope you sync up with us next time. Mm -hmm.